Hey guys, it's Dr. Judy. Since 1971, Pepperdine's Graduate School of Education and Psychology has had one mission to strengthen professionals for lives of purpose, service, and leadership. Online psychology at Pepperdine is the latest evolution of that mission with online master's programs designed for people who want to align their work to their life's true calling. Online psychology at Pepperdine offers a master's of arts in psychology, a master's in applied behavioral analysis, and a master's in clinical psychology. The online master's program are led by renowned faculty in the field who are passionate about their life's work and their students. Students learn from faculty like myself who see sharing knowledge and mentoring students as more than work, but a noble pursuit and responsibility. The format combines live online learning with hands-on clinical training in each student's own community. At Pepperdine, purpose is not just something we preach, it's something we embody. We are a community of more than 130,000 professionals making waves and enriching lives. So what are you waiting for? Pursue your purpose at online psychology at Pepperdine. Visit PepperdinePurpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. That's Pepperdine spelled P-E-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-E Purpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. See you there. Hey, I'm Dr. Judy and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today's very special episode is a Q&A dedicated specifically to relationships of all kinds, romantic partnerships, friendships, family, and coworkers, you name it. I got the idea to do a Q&A episode because I recently celebrated my book's very first publication birthday. My book, Stop Self Sabotage, is all about helping people to live their best lives by conquering self-defeating behaviors that we are all prone to do from time to time. And I was first inspired to write the book because I saw that even successful people were sometimes messing up their relationships, getting in their own way in their careers and in their pursuit for health and wellness and having difficulties with really common problems like motivation and procrastination. My book is meant to be a one-stop shop for eradicating your unhelpful behaviors wherever you see them using a six-step program that is rooted in science but easy to digest on your own. And today we're going to focus on relationship questions because I believe it is more timely than ever to talk about how to supercharge your social relationships and to avoid the traps of self-sabotage. Who better to talk about this with than one of my favorite people in my life who I have an amazing relationship with, my bestie, Dr. Carolyn Nowrose. Yay! Hello! Hello! I'm so excited to introduce Dr. Carolyn as my very first co-host today for the Supercharged Life podcast. In the spirit of this episode, which is all about relationships, I really wanted to highlight my relationship with Carolyn. She is so impressive. She has a doctorate, y'all. So she is a legit doctor. And she is an analyst for the Richmond Police Department and an assistant adjunct professor of policing and criminology at Randolph-Macon College. Did I say that right? Is it Randolph-Macon? Yes, it is a college. Yes. It is a college. Amazing. She holds a PhD in public policy and administration with a concentration in criminal justice. I actually was there for her dissertation defense. It was really fun. She was the and, best. <laughs> and in her other life, she was a dancer who graduated from the Alvin Ailey School's BFA program in New York, majoring in dance. She loves horses. She's a competitive equestrian. She is a farmer. 
Um, Farm life. She is the proud owner of two German shepherds. And she is married to a man I adore, David Nowrose. Um, You guys are truly, I just very, very happy that you guys met and so happy that you found your person. But most importantly to me, she has been one of my most trusted friends for 18 plus years. So it's been almost 20. Can you believe it? I can't. I can't. We're going to be celebrating two decades soon. That's just weird. We are, we have been friends as long as an old, like a adult person, I guess, you know, 18 years. Oh, we've had an adult baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) They can vote now. (laughs) Oh, that's, they can vote in this election. (laughs) Just in time. Just in time. Just in time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, what can I say? It's an honor to be on Judy. I listen to this podcast. I have you in my ears whenever a new episode comes out. I, I need my like, you know, touchstone of recharging my life on a regular basis. Um, and and who better to get that advice from than you, the triple board certified clinical neuropsychologist, not to mention that you have more hobbies than I have fingers and toes pretty much. (laughs) This girl, she is a magician having been to the magic castle with her quite the experience. She is a trapeze artist that takes bravery that I just don't have. I can jump a 1200 pound animal over an obstacle, but don't, don't have me hang from a trapeze. I don't like it. Uh, and she sings, she dances. She's an avid reader. I mean, what can we say? She's, uh, my inspiration, truly. Oh, it was so sweet when I was reading your dissertation and you had a dedication section and I made it into your dedication session. I'm like, oh, yay. I could not have finished the PhD without your advice. You gave the best advice before starting, when I was in the middle of it, when I was finishing it. Yeah, I mean, you, you are my guru for, for doctoral level research. Well, and here we are. And the funny thing, of course, is that we would have never met each other because we spent most of our friendship in completely different physical locations and states. We actually talked about the fact that we overlapped for about six years in Los Angeles, but we didn't meet when we were living in the same city. We met through a very fortuitous circumstance. A short-lived fortuitous circumstance. That's true. I want you to tell the story. I want you to tell everyone how we met. Well, Judy was just a young 23-year-old doctoral student, and I was a young 19-year-old dancer My at the end of my freshman year of college. And we both auditioned in different cities for a reality TV show that was, at the time, I think the competitor to what American Idol, like American Idol had only been on for one season before NBC was like, we're going to hit you back with fame. And so Judy and I were on fame. Yes, we were semi-finalists on this triple threat singing and dancing talent show. I think my singing left much to be desired, which is why I was booted off pretty quickly. (laughs) We were complimentary to one another. I believe that you were a great singer, but obviously your major forte was dance. And I felt like I was a better singer than I was a dancer. So I felt like if we combined as one superpower, we would have taken the whole thing. Yes. But we made lasting friendships, not only you and I, but many of our other castmates. 
Um, I think they had a hard time getting us to say mean things about one another, which was pretty great. Uh, We were too nice for TV. (laughs) That's right. I remember that they would do these tell-all interviews and they would try to get us to say mean things about each other, but we had all bonded. We were in the same hotel sequestered for about five weeks and we couldn't go anywhere. You know, they were trying to keep everything under wraps. And so we really bonded. So like you said, there wasn't drama really. I mean, we're all still friends. At this point now, seems like a like several lifetimes ago. Yes. Because obviously you and I both went on, you went on to finish your PhD, which you had started. And then I took a circuitous path and realized, oh, I should probably go to graduate school. That'd probably be a good idea. It took me eight years to figure that out. And it was a lot of conversations with Judy, especially as I was approaching my late 20s. And I was like, I I think I'm underachieving right now. And I need to find out what my next thing is. And it, it was a long process. And Judy was really there for me through all of it. And um, through through fortuitous, another fortuitous circumstance, I was uh, assisting a screenwriter, doing research for a, for a TV show, and ended up getting to do a ride along with LAPD criminal gang homicide. It was life changing. Like I came out of that ride along and from South Central, like, I have got to stop wasting my time. I need to start helping people. Which is one of the things I think our friendship has always instilled is care for others outside of ourselves, care for humanity as a whole, and what can we do to make the world a better place? And that's, certainly that's something that I've, I've gotten from you, Judy, always. Oh, that's so nice. I think that really shows how strong, meaningful friendships and relationships can help you navigate through life. Those relationships take work, though, especially during tough times like the pandemic. I actually saw this crazy article. It just is so relevant. I feel like it's important to share with our listeners this New York Times article. And the title is, I don't know if my relationship will survive the pandemic. This was just written a couple days ago. Girl, I read that too. It was <laughs> uh, not surprising, but also really good view into the realities of what this pandemic is doing with forcing people to be at home that wouldn't normally be at home or for someone like me where I'm like, I would love to be at home with my husband for a while because we hit for like ship passing in the night in our job. So it's like, hi, love you. Bye. Right. Right. I mean, you're not having that same experience that 90% of people are having right now. So some interesting points from the article, nearly one in 10 of married or partnered people in the U.S. are saying that they're very likely to separate from their partner or spouse, at least in part because of issues related to the pandemic. This was a poll that was just done in August. The same poll found one in five married or partnered people were fighting more with their significant others during this time. And 30% of partnered or married respondents said that they're more annoyed with their partners than usual. And then the article goes on to talk about some very personal stories, um, people that basically were saying, you know, I'm in a pressure cooker now. I didn't realize that I had so much unrest in my relationship until we actually got sequestered in the same place. And now everything feels so contracted and I don't know where to go when I have conflict. And this idea of anxiety, you know, we feel out of control. We don't know what's going on. It's obviously easy that we would take it out on the people closest to us, whether that is a romantic partner or a family or a best friend. But you and I have been pretty good in this pandemic. We've been, we've been fine. (laughs) I I think we've been busier than ever. (laughs) I think you and I have 
we probably also are people that handle pressure pretty well in general. So I think that you are always very good at doing that self-care. And we talk about you and I communicate those feelings to each other when we're having a day. And I know, and I know you speak with your husband about it. I speak with my husband about it. And I'm someone that is very upfront with like, this is how I'm feeling today. (laughs) Mm So I would also say about this article, and I don't know what you think about it, Judy, but I think it's pointing to the fact that a lot of people aren't fully engaged in their family and their home life relationships on a regular basis because we typically have so many external stimulators Mm -hmm. to not engage with them, whether that be stuff going on at work or our extracurriculars, our social life, our social media life, whatever that might be, that this pandemic is forcing people to sort of realize that like, when those things go away, am I really happy with my home situation? Mm-hmm. And what might have taken them 10 years into a marriage to figure out, they're figuring out a lot sooner because yep. they can't ignore it. Yeah. Everything that they've been pushing away for so long by distracting themselves, they were traveling for work, you know, like you said, all of these external simulators. And now they have to sit with that discomfort and say, am I okay in this relationship? And do I want to work on it? I mean, that's also the next decision, right? And you and I have always made a very conscious effort to work on our friendship because you and I have not lived in the same state for most of our friendship. And that's why I knew you would be the perfect person to help me answer some listener questions. So I have been collecting questions about relationships on my social media, and it was so crazy. I only collected questions for 24 hours on my Instagram stories. I'm like, hey guys, what kind of relationship questions do you have? We're taking them all, family, uh, colleagues, friendships, romantic relationships, just hit me with them. I got over 50 questions in, I don't know, 12, 13 hours. It was so crazy. I sent them all to my producer and you are gonna tell me what some of these best questions are. There's so many. I mean, we're not gonna get to all of them, but I think we have a few good ones that we're gonna talk about today. Yes. Um, I'm going to go with one right off the top that I, I think is going to be a, a really great answer from you and really helpful to people because I think it's more common than we'd like to think. But first one we're going to start with, Judy, is Ellen would like to know, how do I know if I'm dating a psychopath? Oh, wow. That's good. It's I mean, I think, I, I think I've dated some before I found my husband. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. I think I know who they were. I think, <laughs> I think you do too. <laughs> I really do. And uh, yeah, I mean, so it's more common than we think. So psychopaths in the general population, one to 3% among charismatic leaders, six to 9%. So you have absolutely come across a psychopath at some point in your life. And psychopaths are so charming in the beginning. They have that shallow affect where they can really kind of respond to you in a very superficial way that makes you feel special. And if they see a weakness, they go right for that weakness. Like, for example, if you seem like your self-esteem's a bit shaky, they're going to be like, well, I don't know why you were ever mistreated. You're the most beautiful, wonderful person on earth. And you're like, oh my gosh, 
I'm fawning and I'm in love. So they have a way of drawing you into their web very quickly, but that is the key is quickly. It's too fast. Like there's something off if you've never met any of their friends, but they're basically completely inundating you, um, you know, in all ways, you know, taking over your life. I want to meet your friends. I want to meet your family. Um, they also always seem to have an objective. And then once they've known you a bit longer, what they do is they'll separate you from your closest confidants because they want to be able to control you. So then they start to get in your ear um, because really it's all about them. Psychopaths don't really have a lot of remorse. They don't have a ton of empathy. If we're talking about the really scary psychopaths and not just the ones that are a bit charismatic and shallow and might be a great leader, we're talking about the ones who, you know, might actually swindle you for money or do something horrible to you. You know, those psychopaths, they don't really care about your feelings. It's really about what elevates them. You know, there's a little bit of a narcissism there. And so I would say if it seems too good to be true in the beginning and they're giving you too much attention too fast, you know, like just have your spider feels out. Like don't, don't overcommit. I think what happens is I see these people and they're just, oh my gosh, I finally found my Prince Charming. And then they just, you know, hand everything over the keys to their house. You know, here's my car. Oh, you need to borrow $3,000. Here it is. So just take it slow, guys. I mean, I get it. You know, I think the pandemic has left a lot of people feeling kind of like they need that social interaction. They're a bit lonely, but slow down. If the person is moving too fast, they seem a bit narcissistic and they seem like they just know exactly the perfect thing to say to you, but there's not a lot behind that emotion. I think you should be careful, but Carolyn, you should weigh in because you're a criminologist and I know you've seen some psychopaths, not just in your personal life, but in your work. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think you make such a great point about their, basically their cycle. And a lot of time we see those psychopaths are abusers. They're people who get you into the cycle of abuse. And if you know what that is, it's that they are plying you with love and attention. And then like Judy said, they're slowly cutting you off from your social contacts, your family, your friends, so that essentially you as the, the victim of this psychopath does not have a safety net to go to when they start abusing you. And that abuse doesn't have to be physical. That abuse can absolutely just be emotional. I mean, yeah, our, you know, having scars on the outside from abuse is a terrible thing, but those emotional scars are very hard to get over and to work through. And when you're in that cycle and you try and leave, you know, they'll, they'll come as soon as you start to leave or try to leave, they'll come back. They'll apologize. They'll say, no, it'll be mm -hmm. different next time. Like Judy said, it's all about them. It's all about them having control and, you know, they'll love you one moment and then they'll be berating you and belittling you the next. And it, it is a cycle for them. And once you start to realize, once you've done it a couple of times with that person where you're like, oh, this is what this is, mm -hmm. you have to reconnect with those friends and family who will lovingly take you back and don't be ashamed and say, I need help getting out of this situation and finding a safe way to do that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, what you were saying just now, the control, particularly coercive control, it's a very specific type of abusive control. Um, and, you know, just realizing that it's all about them. So at the end of the day, it's all about them. And once they're done and once they're, you know, uh, 
once they feel like they've reached their goals, whatever that is, they might just leave you for the next person. And so for them, they didn't have that deep bond with you the way that you think you might've had with them. So definitely be careful, tread lightly. And yeah, let's not get addicted to chaos, everybody. I feel like sometimes you think that chaotic, uh, frenzy is what love is like passionate love, but there really are other ways for passionate love. Like that's not, that's not love. That that's something else. So definitely start to like really hone your intuition in this area, but that's such a good question. I get that question a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, but it's one we all need reminders on, especially if you're out there, if you haven't found your perfect person, it's important for those of our dating listeners to, to get that reminder. Like if you're feeling like it's all about them, it's got to be about you too. It's a two-way street. That's right. Next question. This is a good one. Sorry. So this is kind <laughs> of the follow-up to uh, the first one. So okay. Matt would like to know, should I stay with a woman who cheats on me? And oh. I have a definite opinion about this. So, but you you should. No, you, you go first. I want to hear your definitive opinion on this one. So again, following up with, it's if a psychopath, it's it's all about them. Same thing. Someone who cheats on you, one, they're not ready to commit to you, obviously. And two, they don't respect you enough. If you had a conversation about being in a an exclusive relationship and they're cheating on you, they're just lying if they said that they wanted to be in a committed relationship. So unfortunately, even if you really like the person, relationships are built on trust. Whatever relationship that is, friends, family significant others, work relationships, trust takes a long time to build and it takes one moment to break. And if they've broken that with you, why would you give them your trust again? So I say, no, you should not stay with someone who cheats on you. Yes. Carolyn is very definitive in this. And you know what? I will say personally in my life, I am too. I share that same opinion. Carolyn knows that we've talked about this. Um, and that's not to judge anybody who makes a different decision. I think we all have to know ourselves enough to know what is the right decision for us and to know your partner, right? Some people have been able to overcome infidelity because both partners actually desired to work on it. And the partner that cheats is saying, okay, obviously... I was either a jerk or I was dealing with my own internal issues and I acted out. Whatever the case is, both partners need to work on it. And what's even more important is the partner who didn't cheat. You kind of have to be the bigger person for this relationship to work out. Meaning if you decide you're going to stay with them, it's almost like you can't just keep holding that over their heads for the next several years. Like That's why I can't do that, Judy. Hello? No, I am not a bigger person when it comes to that. Absolutely not. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, that's what I mean. I think that some people think, well, you know, how can you say that for sure? I mean, okay, obviously no one knows a hundred percent until it happens to you, but like, you know, as a thought exercise and as knowing my personality and Carolyn's, uh, we're not going to be able to, like you said, recover that trust so easily. And I don't want to turn into that person who is suspicious because generally I'm not a jealous person. So I don't want to turn into that person who is ultra suspicious or whenever I get into an argument with my partner, I'm like, well, what about the five years you know, ago when you cheated on me? Like you still owe me for that one. You know, if you're going to have that kind of attitude, you really can't have that relationship work. You almost have to just step back and you do have to kind of, you don't have to forget, but you definitely have to forgive and you can't bring it up in every fight. I mean, that is definitely something that everybody should know because I think we all probably do it from time to time. It's like 
once the fight is done, you can't keep bringing that one back. Like, well, 10 days ago you did this. Like, wait, we already settled that. Like we settled that score. Why are we talking about it now? Right? So it's, it's that, it's that whole process. And also, do you really believe that your partner is genuine? I mean, I think sometimes people say, well, that was a one-time thing, but then without actually getting the assurance from their partner that it's not going to happen again, or that the partner is willing to do the deeper work, they just kind of take it at face value. It's okay. It won't happen again. Well, then if it happens again to you, you can't say you weren't forewarned. You definitely had the clues that it was going to happen again. So I would say it depends but if that person, as you were saying, Carolyn, is more of a psychopath, don't really seem to be that sorry for what they did, don't stay in. Don't stay in. You know, get out while you can. There are a lot of fish in the sea. Yeah. And you deserve someone that is invested in the relationship at the same level that you are. I mean, mm-hmm. that that that's my that's my opinion. <laughs> that's your two cents. But our next question, this one's on a little bit of a happier note. Sheldon would like to know if you believe in soulmates. That's nice. I would say that I didn't believe in soulmates until I met my husband. And then I decided that soulmates actually do exist. I know that sounds corny, but it's just true. But my definition of soulmate is probably different from other people's definition. I don't think that being with your soulmate means that you're, you know, 100% happy all the time. I think soulmates challenge you and then they bring out the best in you because they cause you to look at some of your deficiencies and they don't let it let you get away with stuff. And so, you know, I think soulmates can have so many roles. I definitely think that I belong with my husband and I also think that he's my greatest challenge. And that's what I said in the speech that I wrote him in my wedding. I was like, you're my greatest love and my greatest challenge. And it's so true. And I think that soulmates are like that. It's like, they should, they should challenge you to be the best in your life. And sometimes that means pointing out areas in which you can get better and also showing you maybe places in which you still need to work some stuff out, maybe some deeper issues that you have from earlier relationships. But what do you think about that, Carolyn? I definitely believe in soulmates. And it's something I I have to say, the older I get, uh, the deeper my relationships get with like someone like you who I've been friends with forever and meeting under such weird circumstances, but truly how, how our friendship has carried us through so many different times in our lives. Um, I think that is a kind of soulmate um, that develops over time. And then I also feel like someone like my husband who is truly, yeah, I mean, who I, who I met in my thirties, you know, that was just like, this is my person and this is the mm-hmm. person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And, uh, I wish we had more time together right now, but, um, you know, life is busy. Um, but I also, as an animal lover, <laughs> and I, I have quite a few, <laughs> um, I will say, so we, as equestrians, we have this term in the equestrian community called a heart horse, which is very much the same thing as a human soulmate. And I have to say, this is going to be really like gushy about my, my horse, my heart horse. Um, his name is Perkins. And it was like, when I got on him and rode him, I was like, this is it. Like the first time, like I just knew. And he, he, like you said, Judy, a good soulmate does challenge you to be your best self. And I swear he is so amazing in the fact that he has saved my butt when I was not riding well to the fact that he will actually challenge me to be the leader in the partnership 
and really ask correctly for the things that I'm asking for. But man, I want to tell you that force, the love between us, he will keep me safe no matter what. So not only human soulmates, but I definitely have some, some belief in some animal soulmates too. I love that. I think you're right. Soulmates can be in all domains of life. It can be animals. It can be best friends like you and I, and it can be romantic partners. And speaking of which my soulmate, my husband just walked over and stared at me through the glass window. Um, (laughs) He knows that I'm doing my podcast recording and he's just like, he's trying to make me laugh. I'm like, you know what? Some of this can get edited out. Also, nobody cares, you know, so, but it's really well, it's like for me. I love him. I will. I will. I know we miss you guys. All right. What's our next question? Our next question. Okay. So we have uh, a friend question. Great. And I think this is one you and I have talked about before, but uh, personally, so how to confront a friend about her lying and deceptive behaviors? This question comes from Jay. Ooh, it's so tough. I think that sometimes you're afraid to call out a friend who might be lying, even though you pretty much know they're lying because you don't want your relationship to go down the tubes. But my question for you is what kind of friendship are you having if you can't be honest with them? I, you know, as we get older, as you were mentioning, Carolyn, you know, both of us met our soulmates in our thirties and I think maybe when I was in my teens or my twenties, I like put up with more stuff just in general, (laughs) um, all kinds of stuff, you know, Um, (laughs) like, you know, you keep friends around that you probably shouldn't have around you date people that you probably shouldn't date. You know, you don't ask the right questions when you go to a doctor, they tell you something and you're like, I'm not sure. And then you just like, okay, whatever. And you like leave. Cause you know, the doctor is you know, they're, you're supposed to be an authority figure and it's intimidating. Yep. And, uh, as I get older, I just realized that we have so little time in this life and I only want to spend it with people I really want to spend it with. And so I think if you have a friend who's lying and deceptive, you have to ask yourself, is that friendship important to you? And if it is, I think you should confront them, but not in a judgmental way. It's more about asking them, maybe pointing out the facts like, Hey, you said this and you did this and they don't kind of make sense. So can you explain to me why the discrepancy and you let them tell you their version of the story? I think that if you're not going to confront them and you're not going to give yourself a chance to improve that relationship, maybe it's time to say goodbye to that friend because sometimes people are in our lives for just a season and that's okay too. They serve a purpose and they were meaningful for some time and then they're not. But you and I have definitely had lying and deceptive friends and we've discussed this problem before. Yes. And I, you know, I think boundaries come with age and experience and learning to say, yes, time is precious, as you said. And I want to think about the what time I'm spending and investing in other people and have it be someone who, you know, is, is honest with you. And that is, I think, the hallmark of a good friendship. Um But I have another question from one of your listeners named Allison. And I think this is a really important question for boss babes. Just going to say it for the ladies who work uh, and not just the ladies who lunch. Although I do like to have a liquid lunch every once in a while. (laughs) I can't do that at my job. Um, But Allison would like to know, uh, she states, I have problems being as assertive at work. Help. Okay. So common. I think that sometimes people have a hard time speaking up at work for all kinds of reasons. And I think imposter syndrome is a real thing. We definitely see that a bit more as a felt experience for females than males, where people think, oh my gosh, am I really good enough for this? Um, We definitely hear females admitting that that's more of an issue for them than, than males do. But I think the key is really making sure 
that your messaging is clear before you speak up. I think sometimes people have that insecurity because, oh, what if I don't have anything valuable to say? And in dialectical behavior therapy, we have this thing called act as if, like, even if you don't feel that confident, like act as if you are. And I think you will be competent if you just prepare in advance. So in the past, when I've had to go to my supervisors to talk to them about something that was difficult or to ask for a raise or whatever the case may be, I literally, I do write things down in bullet points on a card and I look at it, you know, I think about what I'm going to say. And I also think about not using what we call intermediaries in language, like saying, sorry, or, um, or kinda, or sorta, like just go in there with as few words as possible to communicate what you want to communicate. And then my magic trick is wait for them to respond. Like whether it's that friend who lies or it's a supervisor and you're asking for an advance or a raise or whatever, and you want to hear their opinion, let the silence build because you know what? People are not comfortable with silence. And if you just stay quiet, like they will speak and then you will get your answer. And that's what therapists do all the time in therapy. So I think that's brilliant. And that is, it's a great tactic and certainly one that I've used myself. Um, I know with my work, I mean, I work with a lot of men and I work in a very traditional male environment if within law enforcement, which talk about it's authority figures, like all up and down my hallway all day long. Right. So one of those things for me that uh, I kind of had to get over was feeling like, Ooh, well, you know, I'm a younger woman. How am I going to talk to these men that are in their fifties and sixties and be authoritative or to, to tell them some news they might not want to hear as in, look, we did this research and this was the outcome, you know, but what I found is that honestly, it was just like you said, Judy, having a very clear and competent communication plan using as little words as possible. And then for me, I always try and pivot to have it be solution oriented so mm-hmm. I'm not coming at them with just the bad news. I typically like to say, all right, so this, this is the baseline. This is what we can do to make it better. And then I have to give them time. What I've noticed, even with my husband, just like seems like men in general, they need time to digest things. Mm-hmm. So they might not give me an answer right then, but they'll go home and they'll think about it. And I'll probably hear from them the next day is what I found. Yes. So have that patience, give them that space. And I love that you go with a solution in mind that you could communicate that solution, but then you say, Hey, and what do you think? Why don't you get back to me? Maybe you have some other ideas. And I think that's great. So perfect. So good luck, Allison. We're rooting for you. Let us know if you found these tips helpful. Let's take two more questions, Carolyn. Okay. So we have one from Lillian about boundaries. I have poor boundaries and end up being the caretaker in all of my relationships, romantic and friendship. How do I fix this? Oh, Lillian, this is such a common question. Um, And, you know, I think maybe there is a part of you that really does desire to be a caretaker. You want people to benefit from the fact that you are a lover. But also sometimes if you're always in that role, that's something about yourself. Maybe you feel like you have possibly some low self-esteem or if I don't do this, then maybe they'll leave me. Like there's something in there, Lillian, I want you to dig a little deeper into because a lot of times if you're always a caretaker in a relationship, every single relationship of your life, there's something that makes you feel like you have to or else you don't get that love and that support back. 
And so I think you have to start to think about, as Carolyn was saying earlier, it's a two-way street. Everybody should be getting something out of the relationship. And you can't always be in that role. You have to get your needs met as well. And if it's coming from a place of lower self-esteem or you don't think you deserve somebody to be good to you, then go deal with that however way you need to, whether it's going to therapy or talking to a trusted source. But you have to start small, but you have to be firm and you have to stop taking care of every single person in your life. Try it first with somebody who doesn't matter as much to you, maybe a coworker or a distant friend. Hold your boundaries and say, I'm sorry, but I can't be available for that. And then you're going to start to be able to gradually peel it back to the closer people in your life and set those boundaries with them too. Awesome. And I absolutely agree with you. It's uh, it's something that I struggled with myself when I was in my 20s. I mean, you and I've talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was that my phrase was, look, you know, a car can't run on an empty tank. And if I don't get my love tank filled up, whether it's friends or romantic, like my, my car can't go, we can't just run on an empty tank. When you're giving, 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 you you don't take that time to whether it's self-care or accept love from others. So um, I think that's a really, really great piece of advice, Judy. So true. So our last question pertinent in these times. So Johnny has a question about different politics. He says, my partner and I disagree on politics and it has caused huge fights in our household lately. What do I do to get along? I don't want to never be able to talk about this. So I know this is something that, you know, in, in our friends and family, we have a wide array of political opinions. So I know you're going to have a great answer for this. Well, this is, I think, more common than we'd like to admit. And right now, the political climate is as divisive as ever. And I think people are truly getting into huge fights, um, huge arguments in their home because there might be different opinions. And I think it's important that you feel like you can talk to your partner or your family or your good friends, whoever the person is, about different opinions and outlooks. And I think that the secret is actually to not try to change the person's mind. So if you're the person who's communicating, it's really about keeping emotion out of it and providing facts and observations. And if you're the listener, try to check your judgment at the door and truly listen, like really listen, be an active listener, listen with an open mind, ask them a question back that's not meant to prove something. And I think it's that back and forth of let's take a curious mind. Let's take a childlike mindset to this. Like I'm learning this for the first time, ask questions, be inquisitive. And I also think that in the beginning, it is important to set a time limit. Like we're going to have a 30 minute discussion about politics, not when we're inebriated, not when we're drinking, because you know, that will cause you to be more emotional impulsive. So, you know, maybe over your morning coffee or something like that. And then when the 30 minutes are up, Go do a pleasant activity you know is non-divisive. You know, go ride a horse, go ride a bike together, like whatever. Something that kind of dispels any of the tension that might have built up. And I do think that there's hope for every family out there um, who do have separated opinions. I think it's important that we learn from each other. And even if you think that you're absolutely the one in the right for the preservation of your relationship, just take a curious mindset and you'll be able to have that conversation. I think that is such a great way to approach that. And especially right now. And I think Judy, like you said, approaching it with a curious mind would just be beneficial for everyone right now to recognize we want productive dialogue. And the more we engage in the emotional side of all of these conversations, 
because it is personal and it does affect everyone's everyday lives and it affects them differently. So thinking about, let me actually actively listen to other people. That's, that's a great way to approach it. I'm so glad that we got to do this together. This was so much fun and we covered so much ground. Thank you so much for joining me on this. I mean, you are such an important person in my life. You are a forever person in my life. And um, I just love you and adore you so much. And I can't wait to see you in person soon. Oh, I miss you so much. And I love you too. It was an honor to be on with you. And I love the show. Keep it up. Even though we can't see each other physically, it does bring me so much joy when I get a notification of, ooh, a new supercharged episode. (laughs) It's Thank you so much for listening. And everybody, you need to follow Carolyn on Instagram because she has some really cool equestrian photos, y'all, that her husband takes and then likes his own photo. So you guys have to check it out. What's your Instagram name? It is RVA Equestrian. RVA stands for Richmond, Virginia. That's what we call it in the area. So at RVA Equestrian, if you're like really curious about, you know, equestrian life in Virginia and my obsession with my horse. Yay. Well, thank you again for joining me. And wow, guys, I had so much fun talking to Carolyn. And I just want to sum up really quickly about ways in which you can improve your relationship. Okay. Cause no relationship is perfect, but you can always improve your relationships no matter what. It's a family one, it's a social one, it's a colleague, it's your partner, um, with five really easy tips. The first thing is respectful dialogue. Carolyn and I talked about that a lot. You know, just being able to be open with one another, no name calling, berating or belittling. Let's have a civilized conversation. And if it's around a dicey subject, don't drink at the same time. Um, Communicate your upsets in a way that doesn't raise the defensiveness of the other person or put them down and you're gonna be on your way to a great conversation. Also, all relationships have give and take. Carolyn and I talked about this too. You know, there's some level of compromise. Both people have to get something from this. And so sometimes maybe something's not even worth an argument. So you might have to ask yourself, is this really worth it? You know, am I going to forget about this in two days? So can I just roll with the punches on this small issue? The third tip is supportive actions. You know, love is not jealous or rude. It is kind and supportive. So be happy for your friends and your partner's triumphs and encourage them when they fall and show them that you can be there for them. The fourth tip is healthy space. Every relationship can be strengthened with time. And I think the time apart is important. It helps you because it gives you something interesting to talk about. So make time for your individual pursuits like hobbies, time with other friends. And I think that it enriches a relationship when you have these differing interests and perspectives and you can bring them into the relationship so that you have more to talk about and more to share with your partner. And the last thing is quality time. Every relationship needs to be nurtured by quality time. I don't care if it's a friendship or a family relationship or romantic. So really, really engage in that quality time. Have dinner, watch a movie, talk on the phone with your devices down because whoever that special person is in your life, they deserve your undivided attention. If you have any ideas on future Q&A episodes, let me know what topic you want me to cover by hitting me up on social media at Dr. Judy, D-R-J-U-D-Y-H-O, because I want to hear from you. And thanks to all of you guys who submitted questions. We try to get to as many as we could, but we obviously didn't get to all of them, but I really do appreciate you listening. So thank you for following the Supercharged Life podcast. And if you like the show and want to learn more, Just follow me at Dr. Judy Ho and remember to subscribe, download and tell your friends and take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. 
I'm Dr. Judy. Now go supercharge your life. Hey guys, it's Dr. Judy. Since 1971, Pepperdine's Graduate School of Education and Psychology has had one mission to strengthen professionals for lives of purpose, service, and leadership. Online psychology at Pepperdine is the latest evolution of that mission with online master's programs designed for people who want to align their work to their life's true calling. Online psychology at Pepperdine offers a master's of arts in psychology, a master's in applied behavioral analysis, and a master's in clinical psychology. The online master's program are led by renowned faculty in the field who are passionate about their life's work and their students. Students learn from faculty like myself who see sharing knowledge and mentoring students as more than work, but a noble pursuit and responsibility. The format combines live online learning with hands-on clinical training in each student's own community. At Pepperdine, purpose is not just something we preach, it's something we embody. We are a community of more than 130,000 professionals making waves and enriching lives. So what are you waiting for? Pursue your purpose at online psychology at Pepperdine. Visit PepperdinePurpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. That's Pepperdine spelled P-E-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-E Purpose.com slash Supercharged Life to learn more. See you there.